Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Thank you for all of you joining me today. We're really going to talk about a variety of topics, but more importantly, we're going to be focusing on the kind of the strategic side of marketing. Um, so I'm going to try to give you a broad perspective and the kinds of approaches that I take when I'm developing strategic plans for my clients. Now, I love this quote, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. There's so many things that have happened here in, in our world and the dynamics that have changed you know, how we do business and conduct business. And so one of the things that I've done as a, a kind of a start on my website, I, I, have, I have published two recent articles, one dealing with what businesses should have done during the pandemic. And I, I took a historical view of other recessions. The, the 1918 pandemic obviously you know, has some influence as far as what's relative historically, but using that history to look and project in the future, right? We can look at we can look at history and use it to leverage our future thinking, but we can't necessarily go back and change it, correct? And the other article, which I just recently published, is all focused on what COVID has done to marketing, if you will, and, and kind of from a business structure and looking into the future, kind of starting now and moving forward. So I encourage you to check out those blogs on my website. I think you'll find some uh, really good information in there and actually some of it I'll have in this presentation today. Now, I love this because hope is not a strategy and marketing is not tactics. I, I can't tell you how many times when I get phone calls, it's all about the tactics. And my point is, that's great, but what are we gonna say? How are we gonna message? How are we positioned? What's going on with our competition? Because that's because we look at that as the relevancy to our target audience, right? The, the tactical side is really the, the vehicles, if you will, and how we reach them. But it's about that strategic aspects, taking it up, understanding the messaging that's relevant within the specific uh, vertical that you're targeting or within multiple verticals that you're targeting, right? Because you might not, it is not a one size fits all strategy. So that's really important. I also mentioned the field of dream syndrome, I call it, right? Build it and they will come. Um, there's a lot of businesses, uh, as we'll look at in a second, that, that don't make it. I've actually had uh, several uh, on my own that I thought, hey, I love it. They'll love it. Of course, people are going to you know, call me up. And, and so I call that litter on the side of the road or a few dead bodies um, in my uh, path to trying to grow some businesses. So it is essential that, that you work on your plan, you develop your plan, and do everything you can to stay on that road. It, if we've learned one thing, the road is not smooth, right? It, it, it's twists and turns and lefts and rights. And there's a lot of things that we, we are experiencing today. Um, a lot of people view it as an expense item as opposed to an investment. And so what typically happens, and through my years of experience, they start to cut marketing, which is a mistake. And again, those articles I just talked about will address some of that. So you have to think, you have to work on your business, invest time working on your business, just not in it every day. And that gets back to that idea of strategically thinking about your business and how you're going to reach the goals that, you, that you're trying to achieve. If we look at this kind of visual and from start to finish, as you can kind of see, this is just a lot of the things that can go on that can interrupt 
cause problems and we're not even addressing money at this point in time that can really change your course of business. But I love this quote. This is 90% of business leaders claim their company fails to reach their strategic goals due to poor implementation. So you can have the best plan. You can, you can really spend the time putting something together. But if your implementation is not followed through, is not well thought out, you can have a lot of issues. So a lot of times, this is where things go wrong. It's not the planning aspects. It's what the execution. I, I worked with a client last year that we laid our plan. We actually had ways for them to grow, look in adjacent markets. And those plans were not executed on because they were focused on their core business. COVID has disrupted their business. And because they never invested the time to really execute on their strategic plan, now they're in trouble. As I mentioned, this kind of road to growth, there's a lot of things that can impact you, whether it's marketing and sales, your employees, your finances, your operations, so many different factors. We also have to think about the external factors as well, your competition, what's going on politically, technology. We talk about disruption all the time in the technology field, and certainly from just the economy alone. All these can impact. For example, I was doing a presentation to a group a few years back, and as I was driving in, they were talking about interest rates just going up. And so when I got into the presentation, I asked the, the CEOs in the room if they knew this and they, and they didn't. Um, and so right then and there, literally within a 30 minute window, the impact of their ability to borrow money, for example, just got impacted. You've got to constantly keep your finger on what's going on both internally and externally. Uh, within for your company and in the marketplace in the market that you serve. So part of that then, because of all these twists and turns, and these are probably statistics you already know, but I'm going to read some of them anyway, because I think it's important to keep things in perspective. The build it and they will come mentality, it just doesn't work. There's so many kind of uphill battles as I've been trying to demonstrate as you go forward, not putting in the right energy and thinking about your marketing. And, and when I say marketing, when I look at a company from a marketing standpoint, I look holistically, right? Because marketing isn't a silo. We work with sales. What we do impacts operations, it impacts finance, it impacts HR, it impacts manufacturing, it impacts inventory. I was with a client about six months ago and we were talking and we had everybody in the room and, and the CEO said to the group, what would be the biggest wish in the sales department? And somebody said, I'd like a million dollar order. And everybody clear, you know, cheered and clapped. And I said, great. And I turned to manufacturing and said, if we got a million dollar order in tomorrow, can we fulfill it? And the answer was absolutely not. We don't have the inventory. We've got issues with China. We don't have the manpower. And so looking holistically of what you're doing and how everyone in your organization, I call it, it's a team sport, right? Because everybody is impacted by what you're doing and the decisions that you're making. So I'm sure you've heard this before, about 90% of all startups fail. Uh, failure is most common in years two through five. Competition, as you start to grow, the competition sees what you're doing and you start to attract them. When I mentioned in the action sports industry, for example, was very uh, focused on the surf, skate and snow industry. When I started, there was absolutely no competition. And I know when I say there's no competition, I always say that's not real because somebody is a competitor. The closest competitors were in kind of the overall team category, but nobody very specifically in the action sports industry. 
the man that used to do it, a guy named Steve Sakamoto, used to walk up and down the beach in Southern California. He'd ask questions. He would very observational. He'd write a report and became the beach report. He passed away five years later. Uh, Surfing Magazine came out with a study. So they spent $100,000 in putting a study together. Uh, two companies bought it at $6,000 a pop. It failed. Ten years later is when I introduced my company. Five years in, all of a sudden, I had competitors. It was all of a sudden, it was a very attractive market. The industry was growing. So you're most likely going to attract competitors. Lots of different areas, whether it could be pricing, could be uh, user-friendly or unfriendly products, poor marketing, certainly mistiming in the marketplace. There's so many different factors that can affect what you're doing. This gets back to working on your business, really understanding the dynamics of the market that you're really dealing with, and certainly paying attention to your customers. If you've heard me speak before or you know me at all or been to my site or you know, know your customers is my mantra. It, it, it is the root of everything. If you don't understand your customers and the people that are going to buy your products or services, then you hopefully will not end up on these slides when I'm talking about this in the future. That is the key to understanding their motivations, their behaviors of why they're going to buy your product or your service. And then in uh, 2018, three years back, 82% uh, 82% of businesses are because of cash flow problems. So many different factors that can impact your business as you're growing along. And so I I ask you in, in this situation to think back and maybe take a note and think about the stats that are very specific to your industry, right? These are general, these are broad, but what's going on if you're in the medical field, if you're in, in technology, if you're in healthcare, what's going on in your specific industry, your specific vertical that has an impact on, on your potential growth? The other thing I, I like to talk about before we get into some more specifics is what are you passionate about? I, I have spoken to startups that approach their business as get rich, right? Here's my plan. I'm going to launch this company in five years. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to be rich. And isn't this great? And, and yeah, ultimately it is about maybe money, but it's about passion. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, it, it, it becomes robotic in a sense. I mean, people can tell if you're not really into what you're doing. So I, I encourage you, if you're developing a product or your service, have some passion behind it. You know, the, the action sports industry would be actually surprising because I've never sur surfed, skate or snowboarded in my life. However, prior to that, I spent 10 years with an organization called Pacific Sunwear doing their research. That's what got me excited about the action sports industry got me very passionate about it. And I, I'm also a researcher. And so I combined those two things to start that business. So again, what about your industry uh, makes your heart sing, if you will, really again, back to that passion. So, I, so here's some questions I want you to ask yourself. Who are you selling to? Again, back to understanding, you notice that's the first one out of the chute. Who are you selling to in, in your business? What are you going to say to them? And, I, and it sounds silly, but a lot of businesses tend to focus on them, right? Our products are great. Our products are wonderful. If you use our products, you know, it's fantastic. But take a different perspective, depending on who you're selling to. I go back to a client in the Christmas industry, for example. When I started working with them, their focus was on Mr. Mall. If you use our products, their quality, they're going to survive in the rain and the snow, and you know they're going to last a lifetime. 
My point was, who cares? Because you, the mall was buying those decorations because they want to create something special. They want to create a theme. They want to create a destination. So we got them to change their messaging to speak basically to the mall's customers. Your, your customer is going to come. They're going to have a memory. They're going to come and share it with their kids. They're going to come back to take pictures. Why? Because you're creating memories that will last a lifetime. And our products are solid, right? So it was a different way to message. And so I encourage you to think about that. Where will you sell to them? The other thing is in looking at distribution channels. Is it going to be direct? Is it going to be through manufacturers, reps? Is it going to be a combination? You're going to have inside sales. So again, all these become very important, but not only how you're going to sell it again, how do your clients buy? If you don't know how they buy and they're buying direct from all your competitors and you decide to just sell online or you decide to uh, you know, use, use some other channel, potentially you're missing the window. And in the decision process, what's that journey that they take? And I'll talk about that because that has fundamentally changed because of COVID. And we'll address that. So again, understanding your customers, you hear a theme going on, your customers, what is the journey that they're taking? How are you building awareness of your product or your service? How are you nurturing through the, the sales funnel, if you will, to get them to the point of awareness, interest, consideration, trial as you go along? And why should they buy from you? What's the compelling reason? What differentiates you from your competition and what value do your customers get by working with you versus somebody else? So what business are you in? Now, I've said this before. Somebody could say, what business are you in, Angela? I could say I'm in the marketing business, but that's really not the business that I'm in. I'm in the business of helping companies grow. And marketing is just a vehicle that I use. So what is your value and what services and what companies get from you? So here's a couple stories, right? CEO Black & Decker once said, people don't go to a DIY store because they want one of our drills. They go because they need a hole in the wall. Wonder Bra and their internal communications to their staff sells. We don't sell underwear. We do not sell lingerie. We sell self-confidence. Harley Davidson says, we don't sell motorcycles. It's the, we sell the concept of freedom to middle-aged men. Right. Starbucks understands their business is creating a social experience, not just selling coffee. And Nike isn't in the shoe business. Nike is in the business of inspiring athletes and all of us. Again, what business are you in? And this is a great quote from uh, Scott Cook is the brand is no longer what we tell the customer. It is it is what customers tell each other. It is what's so making sure that the message and what you're trying to put out there resonates with your audience so they understand it and becomes relevant in their lives and their whatever they happen to be doing with your products and services. And this is really important. It takes a long time. Brand building takes time. It's not something you can do tomorrow. It takes time. And so let's say it takes six months, seven months to really get your brand entrenched. And it can take literally seconds to destroy it. So protecting your brand and your because your brand can pivot, right? You might have one product now or one service and you can build multiple products and services under your given brand name. If that brand gets damaged, everything underneath it tends to get damaged as well. The other another point to take away is the brand is utmost something you need to protect as you're going along. So when we kind of start to get into the planning aspects, we look at, you know. What is the size of the market that you're working in? What are your revenue goals? 
Now, I encourage you when you start thinking about your revenue goals is to go out into the future where you want to be and start working backwards. Don't start from today. And, and, and as you're putting together your, your programs and your pitch decks and all those things, the thing I, that, you know, nails on a chalkboard that you're seeing here is it's a billion dollar industry and all I need is one quarter of 1% and that's great. But how are you going to get there? What is the process? How long is that going to take? So I like to encourage when I'm putting together strategic plans is to go out three to five years identify where we want to be from a revenue standpoint and start working backwards because it might just not be product sales company. I was working with uh, about 18 months ago, our expansion included acquisitions. We wanted to move across the country out of Southern California. We need to identify where the uh, market opportunities were. And as we started to identify them, now we had to deal with, well, we can't ship inventory from California. Now we need warehousing. So we, so what's the cost of warehousing in Houston versus Chicago versus New York? So from our strategic planning aspect, we could identify the markets that we needed to go to, but we also had to understand the financial impact of going to those markets. So, and again, working backwards and how we were going to get there, would, could we grow the revenue enough to support those in year two or year three and those kinds of things? And then also looking at your, as you start to grow your existing markets and, and then how do you expand into new markets? And if you're looking at your existing markets as you're going along with your existing products, I mean, really, that's about grabbing market share, penetrating the market, you know, stealing share from your competition, or if the market happens to be growing, capturing that market as it grows. The other is new products or services into the existing markets that you service. And that's by getting close to, what did I say before, your customers to understand their needs and wants. I did a survey among CEOs about a year ago. And one of the questions I asked is, would your customers refer you to one of their other clients, one of their peers? The answer is yes, they love us. And then I asked, do your clients understand all of the products and services you, you sell or only the ones that you sell to them? 90% of them said they only know the products we sell. We're not good at letting them know about all the other things that we're doing. I worked with a software company who created these great platforms that they started to put into all their products. But when I did research to all their existing customers, nobody knew they existed. And when I asked the, the, the company why, they just said, well, you know, they're, they're already buying from us. There's no reason to kind of go sell to them. So they missed a lot of opportunities. So again, you've got to keep your customers informed about things that are going on. You don't want them reading about something in the press. You don't want your competition going in and telling your story, right? Don't let the market control your story. You need to control your story. Other growth, of course, is new markets. So as you start to develop and have your products, are there new market opportunities that you can work into? And certainly total diversification is the new products and new services into new markets as well. So, I mean, these are kind of the strategic decisions you're making as you're growing your business. So, as we start to think about your strategic plan, I mean, these are, you're looking at your competition, your brand, your audience, your sales and distribution strategy. So let's touch on a few of those. When I think about the competition, and this is another area that I feel that a lot of businesses fall down on, they don't really spend the time to understand their competition. And, and it is so important because I always say they're watching you, whether they are or not, 
you have to assume they're watching you and watching your moves. And one of the things that I saw during, you know, really as the pandemic was, was blossoming and, and people were getting laid off, companies were having problems, that the competition was reading and watching those press releases and seeing what was going on and talking to reps, potentially hiring people just got laid off in order to understand how to better position themselves. So if you're opening up a new market with a new product and a new service that doesn't exist, you still have competition because it's something relative. I'm working on a client right now that's coming into a, a, a marketplace. And right off the bat, there's 425 competitors in that space. So part of my job is to figure out how they position themselves, how they message and how they roll out and where they want to play in. So they have competition. They have a lot of competition. So again, understanding that's a different play versus in other situations where you might have competition that's, that's kind of adjacent to what you're doing. So again, you're looking at what is competition doing? How, how are they selling? What is their brand positioning? What is their messaging? What's the perceptions in the market that they have by potential audience, right? You can do some of that through market research. Go out, interview potential customers to try to understand what motivates them and things like that. You know, what are the pro problems that, the, that their products and services are, are uh, solving? And certainly feature benefit matrix because it's an important thing doing competitive analysis to understand what are they offering? What are you offering? And then what does the market want? I worked on a, a telemedicine uh, startup a couple of years ago and they had 25 features they wanted to roll out in their new product. After research, we found we only needed five to make it a viable minimum product that they could go ahead and launch and serve the market needs. And then they could add all the other stuff, the bells and whistles later on as they started to generate traction. And all that happened just by going out and talking to potential customers. Target audiences we've been talking about. What do they do? Do you have buyer personas? Do you understand who they are? Do you know their problems and their, then their pain points? What's their buying cycle? Is it a quick sale? If it's a consumer product that somebody buys on a regular basis or in other situations that takes six months, a year or more to actually make the sale. So those are all different things you have to work about. Because if you've got a long-term sales cycle, you can't have a conversation today and not see them again for six months because that's when they're going to buy. How are you going to stay in communications? How are you going to nurture them along? And then also doing projections on what's the lifetime value that you're going to spend chasing this client because it's a one-off or there's actual longer-term value to you as a client. When I was in the action sports industry, and I'll go back to that, one of the things we were able to do, to do for example, was determine the lifetime value of a skateboarder and a surfer and a snowboarder. And that showed in, in the fact with skateboarding, for example, when people got into skateboarding was they were about 11 or 12 and usually around 16 or 17, they really, the, the numbers kind of dwindled. And part of that was because of 16 or 17 people started driving and we could see a definite increase in, in, in surfing and skateboarding. But the average cost or, or lifetime value of a skateboarder at the time was about $10,000. And so we were able to do that, and that certainly gave insights on how the um, brands would focus on the market that they were trying to go after. And then, of course, your brand, right? What's the why? What do your customer needs? What's, what can you leverage, sustain, and own within your brand? There's a process that I use called VRIO. We look at what's valuable, what's rare in the sense that nobody else has it, what's easy to imitate, and, and um, the O part is about operational support. And so, again, looking at your brand versus your competition, what is something that you have that you own that nobody else has? 
or at least you own for a period of time that gives you an advantage in the marketplace. Who will sell, who will you sell to, and why will they buy, value benefits. So these become all important things and questions that you need to ask yourself as you're developing your your strategy. And then certainly from a distribution standpoint, see geography, vertical markets, market segmentation, online, brick and mortar, inside sales. So again, all these things have to go into your strategic plan, which is going to drive your sales up your operations, your marketing, I mean, your manufacturing, the people that you need from an HR standpoint. So all these things tend to build as you're going into building that plan to help you achieve your goals. Now, this is a, a little positioning chart that I like to use. And it's, you know, what do your customers want? You know, what your co uh, competitors do best and what your brand does best. And certainly if your competition and your customers have a match, I call this the dead zone. It's certainly not an area you want to try to go spend your effort and try to change. On the flip side, if you're in a competitive battle, you know, this might be the losing zone that you don't really want to fight with if, if you've got parity products and services. And then certainly if everybody's the needs, the wants are being fulfilled, there's no clear advantage. And, and this is where you really need that differentiator to make sure that you can stand out. Certainly, ideally, this is where you want to be something that you offer. It's a unique differentiator that your customers want. And when I talk about unique differentiators, it, it really needs to be something that separates you. And whether it's technology or, or what your offering happens to be. And as I said earlier, if you got something unique, how long are you going to be in the marketplace alone before your competitors come into it? And, and I think those are important questions that you need to ask because again, you've got so much time before you start to spawn competition. So again, back to how do you define a unique differentiator? And this is a little broader, but when I've worked with companies, they'll come back and say, oh, we've got great people. Yeah, but so does everybody else. Oh, we've been in the market for 10 years. Well, so is your competition. So you, you can't differentiate yourself on things that everybody else can claim. So what are those unique things that you do, you offer that nobody else can? And it's important that you really dig into this because these become the foundations for your messaging and your communications and frankly, your sales efforts, because ultimately you need to create a clear understanding in the minds of your customers of who you are and why they should buy. Now, as you've heard me mention this earlier on, start with the revenues, you know, start with the end in mind and work backwards. How are you going to climb this, this hill? Because it's really important that you just can't start and start going and start moving. I spoke to somebody the other day that, that called me in for some advice. And the product that he's developing in the markets he was talking about, most of them, are, there's, there's such uh, other competitors in the marketplace. I mean, it was honestly, it was like, you know, you've got such an uphill battle. Even I don't know how you're going you're to achieve it. But then he said one thing that created a potential opportunity for him to, to pivot and go into something that nobody else is really fulfilling. While the market might not be as big, it potentially creates an opportunity for him. So again, where do you wanna be? How do you work backwards? Well, what, what are those influences you start to build your, your, or your, your plan? So this is kind of a quick overview of the kinds of things I like to put in plans, right? So about your brand, there's the VRIO I talked about looking at SWOT. And, it, and if you've developed a SWOT analysis, please use it. I, I was working with a company that uh, we were sharing their SWOT analysis for 2019. 
And they said, yeah, we've been doing these for the last five years. And I said, great. Can you give me the last five years? Because I'd like to see, you know, what's changed. And I kid you not, they were almost identical. What just told me is that was just an exercise they went through, but there was no follow through to actually execute and make changes in their SWAT and, and, and really tackle the things that were threats or op- grab those opportunities or what the weaknesses are, those kinds of things. So again, if you're going to go through these, these exercises, they're not exercises. They're, they're part of your plan. They lead, they show you a path and you need to work on those. Again, work on it, not necessarily in it all the time. Carve out some time. Voice of the customer, VOC. What are the needs, wants, and behaviors? Value proposition. There's a lot that goes in to developing your plan. So I like to look at the opportunity and then look at current customers, if you have them, and prospective customers. And that VOC that I talked about. Now, voice of the customer, really, you're going to get that by talking to your customers. And that doesn't have to be expensive. It could be interviewing and understanding the people that have already purchased your product, that what were their motivations, right? What were their behaviors? What was behind them to make those decisions? Or prospective customers, you can go out into the marketplace. So there's you know, one-on-one interviews from a qualitative standpoint, there's quantitative studies where you can actually do a survey, do, you know, survey says something that's more projectable. I've done that, for example, in past working in, in the action sports industry, a company developed a new supply chain program. We did research among all the, the brands and the retailers to understand what they actually use this product. And, and those are data that they use to show the path that there was really a need. So again, This is something that I highly encourage you to think about and to do. There's lots of different ways. It doesn't have to be uh, really expensive and it doesn't have to take a lot of time. And that's the other thing I hear is, oh, we don't have time. It's not about the expense. We just have time. We need to get to market. We need to get this. We need to get that. But at the end of the day, if you don't know what you're building, you don't know what your, your, your customers need, you don't know how they're going to buy, again, you're just building something and hoping that they'll come. So if you, if you haven't done any kind of research previously, I encourage you to really think about it. I, I think I might have mentioned this already, working with a, a software company that, that has a new product and they, that they built for themselves. They want to take it to market. There's already, like I said, 421 competitors in that market space. So we're trying to understand by talking to people that have already used it. We're about ready to launch a quantitative study. We've analyzed their competition, all the things that I'm telling you that to, to do, we're doing to understand, is there an opportunity for this company to take this product beyond their four walls? And so we need to understand how that works. As I said, understanding the competition in the marketplaces we're doing. They're really important to understand these different aspects because as you start to go into the marketplace, again, unless you've got something that does not exist anywhere else in the world, somebody else has a product or there's a perceived competitor. And that's the other thing. Just because you know, you say, I don't have a competitor in this marketplace doesn't mean there isn't something out there that is filling this niche or this void that is adjacent to you, but it's already out there. So again, the perception that that the market, uh, you have a competitor in the market. So perception and reality. Now, the other thing as you start to go in, and I'm not going to get in too much in the tactical side, but as you start to build your funnel and your communications, this is kind of a three-part funnel, if you will. What are the needs and how do people within those the markets that you're targeting consume information? So for example, 
you know, when they're discovering, how are you educating them? How are you bringing awareness to your brand? Whether it's things like we're doing today or website or social media, public relations. And as they move down the channel and start to get interested, what more information are you giving them? How are you expanding their knowledge to get them interested in what's going on and ultimately into the consideration set? So again, it isn't a one size fits all. You can't run one blog that happens across the board that's, that hits everybody throughout as they move their, their journey. And we, I talked about it, but I didn't really get into it about customer journeys, understanding buyer personas and, and how they move. If they don't know who you are, how do you educate them? If they know who you are, how do you build that understanding of what your product, the benefits of your products and services? So again, this all becomes important as you start to map out kind of the executional side of your strategic plans. Plan is a living, breathing document that once you, the day I always say, the day you say your plan is ready, five seconds later, it just changed. Something happened out there that just changed your plan. So it isn't something you build and you stick on the shelf and you don't look at it. It's a constant referral as you work through your programs uh, with your team, all of that. So typically in the marketing world, right? Marketing is used to build awareness, generate interest, maybe some consideration. And then when we turned it over to sales and they took it from there to drive it home, right? Sales and marketing is symbiotic relationship. It should never be adversarial. If you've got an adversary relationship between your sales and marketing team, you need to rethink that. But what COVID has done, has changed it where marketing now is reaching deeper into the funnel. So now we're also talking about the consideration and driving that intent and evaluation of products and services. I mean, there is more work going on right now online by businesses doing their research. So your presence online, which you all know is important, is even more important than ever before, making sure that you have the right message and right messages as they're moving down this funnel. So I'm going to leave you with 10 questions that I, I want you to ask yourself. First question is, do you know which customers are most valuable in terms of potential revenue and profitability? So again, back to that customer, who is your customer? But like I said earlier, not every customer is a good customer. You could spend a lot of time chasing somebody, which I still do on occasion, only to find out that they didn't have the money or they're not right or frankly, you don't want to do business with them. So you, every customer is not a good customer and you have to understand that. I mean, when I had my advertising agency, I remember the very first time I actually fired a client and, I, and, it, and it took weeks of discussion with, with my senior team because they're like, hey, this is great revenue. Why are we firing them? Their answer was they were, just, they were so difficult to work with. They were disrupting the internal operations that people hated them. And so the decision to lose the revenue made more sense because we were actually doing damage inside of the agency. So again, knowing your customers and who they are and where you're going to spend your time, right? especially in, in, in the early stages, you only have so much time, so much bandwidth, so much money. So by focusing where you're going to get your revenue to help you grow and the types of customers that you want becomes very important. The question two, do you truly understand your buyers and how they make purchase decisions. Again, back to that customer aspect. You have to understand what is that process, and especially in the B2B world, because it's typically it's not one person. A lot of times there's somebody who initiated the project. There's somebody who is evaluating the software, for example, and someone making the decision to buy it. And then there's somebody writing the check. So you might have three or four people within an organization that you need to make sure are comfortable with you. So how are they making that decision? 
And again, on the consumer side, is it is it a commodity? Is it just something that you're going on or buying once a week or, you know, whether it's, you know, tied or whatever it happens to be? Again, understanding how people make those decisions and what influences them to make those decisions becoming very important. Question three, is your brand message differentiated, inspiring versus being based on what you do and who you are? Right. That gets back to that story I was telling you about the Christmas company, by them speaking differently to their customers about the value that their customers were going to get helped differentiate them from everybody else who was only, frankly, selling product. Right. So understanding what differentiates you and what inspires your customers and understanding, again, why are they buying it? So I've shown you three questions and each one has gone back to understanding the customer. There goes number four. Do your, cost, do your customers and prospects truly understand what problem you solve and how you do it better than the competition? It's back now to understanding your competition, understanding your customers, and understanding that point of differentiation that really separates you. How do you do that? These are important questions that you need to ask yourself as you're building your plan and as you move forward. Again, it isn't done just because you finished it. It constantly involves. Number five, are you producing marketing content that your customers need? when they need it, and the form they need to consume it. Now, we talk about content all the time, and, and I'm sure all of you have built content, but the question is, what are you building? And is it, is it relevant to your audience, right? If you're selling to a 30-year-old, you better have videos. Anybody younger, videos are so important right now. But I've actually been selling to um, a market where the audience was much older and they still wanted case studies, written case studies that they wanted to read. Now, if I was throwing a lot of videos at that audience, I, I'm probably not doing it justice, right? Back to those funnels and the different pieces of communications as they move down the funnel, I'm missing the boat because I don't understand my customer and how they want to consume information. Do they like it in PDF? Do they like it in Word? I don't know. Right. So I have to go out and I have to talk to my customers and prospects to understand how they want to consume that information. It's not just about content. It's about the right content. Are you allocating marketing resources based on specific objectives and towards accounts with the greatest revenue potential? Again, reinforcing what I said, where are you going to spend your time? Where are you going to invest? Back to the client I was talking about, five vertical markets equally spreading their budget across all five, only three were the giant revenue generators. And they're wasting 40% of their budget chasing a very small percentage of their business. So again, back to where are you allocating your dollars? Back to how are you allocating them to reach and the kind of tools that you're using to grow your business? Number five, do you have more A players and C, than C players on your marketing team, for example, and on your team in general? Having the right people is so important. You have to look at and evaluate the people that you have. You know, you might have started the business. You know, I've started businesses with, with buddies of mine before, and, and they failed miserably. I started a business with two people I didn't even know, but I felt that they understood the market. And that was my first business at 23. And it, it failed while I was still 23. I just had the wrong partners. I didn't understand. I didn't vet them properly. And that experience was certainly an education and so every, every time you move forward, you do something, it's a learning experience. You need to put it in your knowledge base so you don't repeat that, right? Always moving forward, using what you learned in the past, not going back and trying to change it, right? So do you have the right players on the bus? Jim Collins, right? The right players on the bus. And you may might have the right players on the bus, but they might not be in the right seat. 
So you also have to evaluate that. Do you have somebody who's really strong, understands your products and services, but A, they're not the best marketing person, but maybe they're the great analyst, right, for example. So again, can you move people around on the bus to get that value? Is your marketing generating enough qualified leads that the sales team um, can help ex you know, get their revenue goals? You know, sales and marketing has always been interesting over the years that, you know, there's that we always talk about adversary relationships. And again, there really doesn't need to be uh, strategic partners I work with now from the sales side. And, and again, we take a symbiotic approach that we work together. As I showed you in that, that funnel, I have a job, he has a job. And so by understanding that, but ultimately if you're generating leads for your sales team, you need to also vet those leads. Not every lead is a good lead just because they called. And again, I'm learning. I, I go through this even myself. I have a program going on. I'll get somebody calling me in. They made the effort. I have a conversation. And I remember when I first started this a few months back, I would talk to them 30, 40 minutes in. Then I would start to ask those kind of relevant questions. And I would say more often than not, they were not good quality leads for me. So now I've changed the way I speak, for example. So I try to move those questions up front to find out, you know, what are they really after? What are they really looking for? And so again, understanding if you're going to hand a lead over to a salesperson to follow up on, there needs to be some qualification. You need to make sure that it's just not uh, a lead that is a lead. It's a cold lead because what happens is typical sales team, they're driven by certainly revenue, uh, making their, their commissions. And, it, and what I've seen over the years is marketing hands over leads. They call the first two or three folks, for example, they're bad. They assume every lead in the bunch is bad. And so that's where that kind of adversarial start, stuff starts to come in. So it's really important that you do qualification. Are you customizing campaigns and content for specific vertical markets? Again, reiterating the conversation I've already had is understanding the markets. Just because you have a product and services just doesn't mean that, that each of the vertical markets that you sell to are the same because there's different needs. Uh, I worked with a software company and uh, had a CMS product and they were really looking at that kind of one-to-many strategies of companies that, that had multiple offices, franchise associations and things like that. Well, it's all one-to-many. Hey, why not use this product? Because you can push out content to, the, to all of your franchisees, all your association locations, all to your multiple offices. But when you dug into it, the needs of a franchise was very different from the needs of association, the very needs of a, a multi-officer or multi, uh, uh, a worldwide organization, for example. But if we did a one-size-fits-all message, it wouldn't have worked. So again, understanding back to the relevancy. How do you do that? Back to the customers. How do you do that? Back to doing some market research. How do you do that? Understanding what's going on to really dig into what is the right message that shows that you have relevant content or a relevant solution to their needs and wants. Because again, there is no silver bullet in marketing. I have a blog on that, right? Silver bullets or lone rangers or killing werewolves. That's all. So if you've got a silver bullet strategy, you need to step back and you need to rethink that. 10, are you making marketing decisions based on more data than intuition? There's a guy named uh, Glenn Tupersky and um, I can't remember the name of his book, but it's about making gut decisions, things that are intuitive. We can talk about a, a variety of case studies where people sat around in the boardroom by themselves making decisions without ever going out and doing any of the things that I'm talking about. Case in point that I love to, to, to share as a, a case study, just checking my time here, uh, was Vizio. So uh, depending on how old you all are, certainly Avatar came out, 3D movie, everybody loved that. 
uh, 3D televisions became hot and there was a race. Panasonic, Sony, and Vizio all started the rush to market with their 3D television. Vizio won, and I like to say sort of, because they came off, it took off, early adopters bought it, bought it the techies. About five years in, it faltered and eventually came out of the market. And at the, the end of the day, in a postmortem, there was a simple reason that it did, because nobody wanted to wear 3D glasses all the time to watch television. Now, could they have done some research? They could have, but they were in a race to get to market first, and they didn't do the due diligence that they should have done. As a matter of fact, if you, when we examine the case study, somebody says that in the board meeting, somebody brought up this very topic, and they said, we're not worried about it. So again, their speed to get to market, in and out, they didn't do the due diligence, and it probably wouldn't have taken that much more time to go out and do some studies. So again, making not totally gut decisions back to all the stuff I've been chatting about for the last hour. Take time, do some research, understand your customers, understand their motivations, understand how they react. Use some data to take it out of your hands. I always ask my clients, how many of the products and services you sell are you going to buy? I was dealing with a gentleman uh, and helping him with his startup. He, was, he, he came out of retirement. He was 80 years old. And based on their products, we were selling to moms and dads and basically 16, 17, and 8-year-old kids. Yet he kept making the decisions based on his gut. And I constantly said to him, you can't make those decisions. Number one, you're not the audience. You're not even close to being the audience. But he, he didn't want to listen. And so that's a, a, just a simple example of how this happens all the time. Don't make the decisions on your personal preferences. Get out there and understand the people that you're trying to sell to and what are their preferences. I hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Business Growth Cafe. We spent about 45 minutes talking about marketing, helping you give you insights on how to develop your strategic plan, whether you're a startup, a small business, frankly, any type of business as you're getting ready to move into 2021 and hopefully be ready to compete. Please visit theponzigroup.com to find out more information about me and about uh, our marketing services. There's a lot of free resources there, videos, ebooks, blogs, etc., etc. And please, I hope you join me again here at the Business Growth Cafe. If you're a subscriber, thank you very much. And please let others know about the great content you can find here on the Business Growth Cafe. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your commitment to the show. I look forward to seeing you again next week here at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.